0: Happy Sunday, everyone. It's so good to worship together, isn't it? It's so good. Okay. So last week, we started to talk about the armor of God from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Okay? So Ephesians tells us that God gives us what we need. God gives us what we need to stand strong. God doesn't leave us without what we need to fight battles against the enemy who wants to destroy us. So, Ephesians 6 says to put on all of God's armor because evil days will come, you know? Hardships will come. But you, you, Jonah, You, Jonah, okay, will be able to stand up to anything, no matter what, a pandemic, really hard times, when people are sick, whatever it is, you can stand, but the thing is, it doesn't say that you just sit and do nothing, okay? And it doesn't say that you sit around hopeless. No, Ephesians tells us, after you have done everything you can, you will still be standing. And the thing you have to do is you need to put on your armor, okay? Now, the first thing on that armor was, what was it? A belt. A belt, that's right. What is that belt called? The belt of what? Truth. Belt of truth. Okay? And the belt of truth is what tells everyone that you belong to God. Just like a Roman soldier, that belt was the one thing that the Roman soldier could wear anytime, all the time. And because it was a thing that told everyone, it signaled to everyone that they belong to Rome. So this belt of truth you put on as so that you could signal to everyone that you are in the Lord's army that you belong to the bigger power of God. So you wear your belt, and you wear it in your middle so that you don't forget and no one else forgets. So you know like BTS? I got really into BTS by the way, okay? Now BTS has uh, fans who are so devoted followers of the band, right? And um, it's like when we put on our belt of truth, we are saying we are devoted, to the good news of Jesus Christ. We are saying we're devoted to Jesus, okay? So just like BTS has an army, we are God's army, okay? So today, we're gonna add another part to the armor of God, okay? So after you wear your belt around your waist, you're going to put on your sandals, 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 Not just any kind of sandals, sandals of the gospel of peace. Ooh. Now sandals, you put them on your waist? No. You put them on your feet. Yes. So when mom and dad tells you, hey Abby, put your shoes on. What do you think they're saying to you? They're saying, we're gonna go someplace put your shoes on because we have a destination we're going someplace so you see when a Roman soldier put on the sandal it wasn't any kind of sandal they had shoes that were made of one piece of thick leather really thick leather okay it was one piece so that it doesn't fall apart okay and not only that on the bottom they had these nail beds so that the shoe wouldn't get worn out so much. And the reason that was important is because they had to go a lot of places. They had to do a lot of walking. They had to do a lot of marching. They had to do, when the commander said, let's go, they had to be ready to go. So you see, just the same, in Ephesians 6, it's just not any old shoes that Paul's writing about. He says it's the shoes you put on when jesus the commander and the kind of commander jesus is the kind of commander who would die for you when jesus says put your shoes on you put these shoes on to follow him you put the sandal of the gospel of peace because wherever you go that is what you take with you you go and you proclaim the good news of Jesus, the peace, okay? That means when you have these sandals on, you are a messenger, okay? You're a messenger of the good news. Not only that, you're going to places where it might be hard, people are having a hard time, people are in trouble, or people are in danger and people who are captives or slaves and you're telling them Jesus sets you free you're not going to these places to conquer and to make slaves of people and to tell them you must obey or die okay you are going to places to tell everybody that Jesus Christ died for them and so when you tell them this you are the one that the bible talks about when it says how beautiful how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace when you put on your sandals of the gospel of peace you go places, and everyone, when they see you, they say, Oh, how beautiful your feet are. Because you are the one who comes to bring good news. When you go and you proclaim Jesus, you are proclaiming the freedom that Jesus brings. How good is that? How good is that? You see, just like the belt, remember this verse from last week? If you continue in my words, if you obey my words, you are truly my disciples. You are truly in my army. And you will know the truth because you, it's it's what girds you. It's what's your middle. It's what makes you. And that truth will set you free. God does not leave us to have nothing. Okay, he equips us. So you have to remember to put the armor on, especially when it's hard. So, can you open them? Shut them give your hands a clap open them shut them place them on your feet open them shut them fit us with your speed open them shut them give your hands a clap open them shut them fold them in your laps let's pray God we pray again today that we would be your disciples, that we would be such fans of Jesus that we would be Jesus' army, that wherever we go, people would say, ooh, here comes Josiah. He brings with him the peace of Jesus. Here comes hope. Here comes all these kids from Graceway who bring peace. Lord, help us to be your instruments. Help us to bring your good news to people who really need to hear that you, Jesus, have already won the victory. That you have already done all the hard work and we're just following you. Help us to know this, this week when we go to school, finish out, when we're at home, and everything we do, help us to be your light. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: The scripture reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do you not know, do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the fountains of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they weather and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Lord holy one. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, And because he is strong in power not one is missing why do you say o jacob and speak o israel my way is hidden from the lord and my right is disregarded by my god have you not known have you not heard the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord.
2: The Lord be with you. Welcome, welcome. Uh, before I begin, I just want to uh, congratulate Eric and Kelly, our newlyweds. So, great to see you guys, congrats. <laughs> That's great. Uh, please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day, uh, that we can gather once again in your house, on Zoom, and be able to worship together open our hearts and our minds our ears that we may hear the word that you have for us and hearing help us to find our comfort and obey we pray in the name of jesus christ our risen lord amen the book of isaiah is usually divided into three parts the first part consists of chapters 1 through 39 and it's largely a warning to an unfaithful people that judgment and exile will soon arrive. The second part, beginning with chapter 40, is then directed at the people who are experiencing that judgment and exile because they did not heed the earlier warnings. So chapter 40 is the start of this new message. And importantly, the first word that God has for his people in exile is not a word of rebuke, it is not a word of I told you so, but it is a word of comfort and a word of promise of deliverance and redemption. It begins with comfort, comfort my people, says your Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins it is a promise of redemption and blessing and there is this hope of return to Jerusalem which will get fulfilled in the third and last section of Isaiah and so the scripture reading you just heard is a part of this larger message given to a weary discouraged and even despairing people to a people whose lives are seemingly at the mercy of the Assyrian Empire Isaiah's message is a reminder that God has most certainly not abandoned his people, that God is still in control. This is what prophets and preachers do. They tend not to provide new information, but rather remind the people of what they know to be true already. So Isaiah frames his message in verses 21 and 28 by asking the same two rhetorical questions. Do you not know? And have you not heard? These two questions are not asking whether they've heard the latest gossip. Rather, he's asking, have you forgotten? You know this to be true. Don't you remember? You've heard this before. In fact, you've known this your entire lives. It's been around since the foundation of the earth isaiah like all prophets is fighting theological amnesia it's not some new argument for god rather it's an affirmation of what they have already believed about god but seemingly now in their circumstances have forgotten so following verse 21 isaiah answers the questions he himself has posed by reminding the people of the theological truth That they and we have always known that God is the omnipotent creator of all that is that God is the creator the bible begins with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the apostles creed our first declaration is that i believe in God the father almighty maker of heaven and earth And in the Nicene Creed, we take it even further, declaring, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. God is the almighty creator, and God has no rival. The mightiest kings of the earth are like mere grasshoppers, or perhaps today we say they're just mere cicadas. Even the most powerful empires are nothing in the eyes of God and it's completely ridiculous to try to compare them to God because God is just categorically other. For example, Isaiah says in verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Isaiah is challenging the people, look to the stars. Look at the stars. You know, on a given night, if the sky is clear and you happen to live in the middle of nowhere with no city lights, you might see several thousand stars. And Isaiah says, God knows each of them by name. What human being is capable of anything even remotely comparable to that? And those are only the stars that we can see. Astronomers estimate that there are some 200 billion stars just in our galaxy, and that in the observable universe that there are some 70 billion trillion stars that's seven times 10 to the 22nd power i know harrison knows what that means i have no idea what that means that number is so big i can't even get my you know i can't understand it but god knows each of them each of those stars he made them not one is missing to declare that god is creator is to acknowledge that god is powerful beyond our imaginings do you not know don't you know haven't you heard have you forgotten the lord is the everlasting god the creator of the ends of the earth those who know god are naturally then in awe of god we see this throughout the scriptures psalm eight for example the psalmist is in all incomprehension He writes, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you care for us? Psalm 104 declares, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Psalm 147 similarly tells us, God determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, declare and sing God's praises because they have come to know and have tasted something of the immeasurable power of God. When you remember, when you begin to remember, who God is, and that all of creation is the result of his mere speaking them into existence, all earthly powers are as nothing. Whether it's Pharaoh and the Egyptians, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Americans, Whatever power you imagine to be great, God's mere breath can make them wither away. Whatever powers in your life right now that seems mightier than God, whether it's the pandemic or a chronic illness, some financial crisis, anxieties that you have for your children, a terrible teacher who's giving you unfair grades. Whatever it is, I'm telling you, that God is far, far greater. To know God is to know that God is one who rules the heavens and the earth. It is to have confidence that no earthly powers will ultimately determine your destiny. And it's this foundational truth that we must be reminded of again and again and again so isaiah establishes this truth about god and then he repeats that question again do you not know have you not heard in verse 28 and the second time instead of offering a theological affirmation he offers a pastoral response this sequence of the theological followed by the pastoral is actually central to our faith, what I mean is that the Christian faith begins with truth about God, about who God is and what God has done, and then we consider the implications of that truth, right? So for example, the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, typically structures his letters this way. The first half, he tells us about who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then in the second half of that letter, because of what God has done, here then is our response. Here is how we ought to live in light of that truth. God acts first on our behalf and then calls us to follow him. In creation, God created everything necessary for flourishing and then called humanity into obedient fellowship. Even in the 10 commandments, even in the law, god first declares who he is that he is the one who has rescued the people that he is the one who brought them out of the land of slavery out of the house of bondage and because of that then he offers them these words to follow only after declaring what god has done for his people does god call them to follow in obedience and isaiah is doing the same thing do you not know god have you not heard the Lord, he is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He does not faint, he does not grow weary. His understanding is beyond comprehension. God's ways are just beyond anything we can't even begin to imagine. But here's the amazing thing Isaiah tells us. This all-powerful God, this maker of the universe, cares for us in fact the eternal one the one who does not faint or grow weary empowers us robert alter writes god's inexhaustible nature is transferred to those who wait or hope for god and isaiah says he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength that's the promise the eternal god who does not disregard the lowly and the weary. His almighty power is matched by his almighty compassion. Isaiah is speaking to a people in exile, to those who are beleaguered, to those who are feeling worn out and powerless. The good news comes to those who are burning out, to those who are languishing, to those who are exhausted and ready to quit to those who are struggling with keeping faith. Haven't we all felt some of that and intensely in recent months? In one recent poll, 29% of pastors reported that they have seriously thought about quitting the ministry in the past year. Not just switching churches or ministries, but just quitting ministry altogether three out of ten that's a lot and they're not alone i've been reading that feelings of burning out from work are rampant in nearly every field of work today and it's not going to disappear anytime soon so when people are experiencing these kinds of feelings they will often seek out sort various strategies to find some moment of joy in an otherwise dreary existence. You know what people need when they're tired is rest, (laughs) a better diet, some exercise. But instead people look for moments that are fleeting that will ultimately prove unsatisfying. For example, it will not surprise you that alcohol consumption has increased during the past year and that there is now this renewed concern for what is known as gray area drinking, something between social drinking and alcoholism. Recently, I also learned about an interesting Chinese expression. I'm not sure if it sounds fluid in Chinese, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I'll sound racist. But according to the journalist Daphne Lee, it translates into English as revenge bedtime procrastination or retaliatory staying up late. The expression describes what people do when they go home after working long, exhaustive hours who don't have much control over their daytime hours. After an exhausting day, they refuse to go to sleep early and instead they stay up late to take revenge, to retaliate against the lack of freedom in their day. And so instead of going to sleep, they will play video games, half watch marginally interesting K-drama on Netflix, scroll through social media, and in other ways, exhaust themselves even more. It's a search for relief, for joy, for a moment of bliss in a bleak day, in a bleak life, especially during the season of pandemic. It's understandable. I know I've done my share of revenge bedtime procrastination after a full day and night of Zoom meetings. But of course, this is not a helpful strategy towards sustained well-being and health. But here's the good news of Isaiah. Notice that the promise of power and strength are given to those who are fainting and have no strength. In other words, weariness and weakness are the normal human experiences for the people of faith and God comes to aid those in in need of help. Being weary and tired, it does not disqualify you as a person of faith. In fact, it's a requirement. Only those who admit their sin and weakness can come to salvation if you're always together you've got everything figured out if you're one of those people that's always full of energy that's always happy happy you're never discouraged you never need anyone then Isaiah and I have no word for you today jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit it's also why the apostle paul told the corinthians who are so proud of their of their supposed superior spirituality. He told them about his own weakness, about his thorn in the flesh. He testified that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So if you're feeling weary, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, if your current circumstances are difficult and make you wonder if God is around if God still cares about your well-being, let me remind you that the disciples too, in the middle of the storm, asked that same question to Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning in this storm? I wanna tell you that if you're struggling, you're in good company. You're with Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and others who also struggled with discouragement and depression, and exhaustion. And I want you to hear this good news. The God of Israel, the Holy One, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he promises to empower you, to give you strength, to all who wait upon him. There is a promise of strength and renewal for all who wait upon him. You shall renew your strength as you wait upon the lord even though the young and the strong fall down those who wait for the lord will renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint now waiting upon god is not just sitting indifferently and doing nothing the word waiting is a synonym for hope waiting or hoping upon god is to actively expect renewal restoration release redemption it is knowing that god is near and trusting that god will keep his promises waiting in faith is hard because you have to keep on waiting it's not a one-time thing it's not like you wait once And you get your strength and that's it it's easy to do a one-time thing even if it's hard it's easy to go to the gym and exercise in the morning once it's easy to be a fun and cool dad for one afternoon for your kids it's easy to pray for someone when they ask you to pray once but to keep on praying for someone daily for the same thing For days, weeks, months, and even years. That's waiting on God. That's how you are renewed and re-strengthened. Back in 1995, the poet Maya Angelou, on the occasion of the Million Man March in Washington DC, wrote a poem that begins with these words. The night has been long, the wound has been deep, the pit has has been dark and the walls have been steep. I think that can apply to our time and to many other times. She acknowledges all the suffering, particularly of black Americans, and yet she does not give up hope. She does not give in to despair. Instead, she concludes her poem with these words. The ancestors remind us, despite the history of pain, We are a going-on people who will rise again, and still we rise. I found those words really inspiring. The ancestors remind us, despite our history of pain, we are a going-on people, and we will rise again, and still we rise. I think Isaiah would also say that we are a going-on people who will rise again. That's the promise. Not because we are strong, but because we know that God is strong and that God has promised to renew our strength and we know that God is capable and that God will keep his promises. Let me close with this. I know that this will not excite most of you, um, but I get excited, as you know, when I come across an especially interesting word and its origins so this week in one of eugene peterson's books i learned about the hebrew word shakam it's a word that means to do early in the morning or to do again and again to do early in the morning or to do again and again and it's a word that gets translated as persistently for example the prophet jeremiah rebukes his people with these words in chapter 25. For 23 years, for 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken persistently shakam, to you, but you have not listened. He preached to them for 23 years and they did not listen. You have neither listened nor inclined your ear to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. Now, what's really interesting about this word for me is how this word came to acquire this meaning. Originally, Shakam simply meant shoulder. It was a noun for shoulder. And it was the name of a town that sits between these two mountains in Palestine, uh, Mount Ebal uh, and Gerizim. And so between these two mountains, there sits this little town called Shacham. And that's this, this, this word because I guess in their imaginings, you know, two mountains look like shoulders. So that's how it was named. Now in those days, when you traveled, you would put all your like uh, traveling stuff, tents and provisions onto a donkey or a mule, right? You'd load your donkey between the shoulders. So this word came to me, not just shoulders, but it became a verb meaning to load the shoulder of a beast of burden for a journey. Furthermore, when you traveled in those days, you would want to get a start as early as possible with the first break of light because you want to, you know, if if it's like a 10 day journey, you want to make sure you can get going. And so you wanted to get up at the crack of dawn to take advantage of every moment of sunlight. And so this word again changed a little bit more and it came to describe the activity of those people who got up early to get in as much travel or work as possible and so this implied diligence and repetition and so the word came to mean to do early in the morning or to do again and again i don't know for me it just really captured this idea of waiting on god to get up early in the morning and to do again and again it's not that God will magically make our exhaustion disappear, nor is it that we pretend we are never tired. Rather, in my daily expectation for God, in my daily persistent waiting upon God, God renews my strength. Waiting upon God means that in all our weariness, in all of our exhaustion, In all of our daily grind of working and traveling that we continue to trust and to get up early in the morning in obedience and follow according to his ways it means that we worship together on the Sabbath that we seek his face in his word that we daily shout hallelujahs that we pray without ceasing in everything we give thanks because his strength is sufficient for the day he will renew us the fact that you are here this morning or listening in on this service is evidence of god's strength being renewed in you i know that some of you are soaring like an eagle in your waiting and others of you are running without Being tired in your waiting and I'm really glad for those of you who are doing great but for myself I find that I can walk in my waiting without fainting and sometimes that's all that I can manage these days but for that I'm very thankful even as I'm able to get up each morning even as I feel that exhaustion I also know that God is with me and giving me the strength that he has promised to give, that I can persistently do early in the morning again and again. That is my trust because I know the God who made me and the heavens and the earth. Jesus calls us to take up his yoke upon our shoulders and learn from him. And he promises us that his yoke, his work, is easy and that we will find rest for our souls those who trust in the lord the creator the almighty will renew their strength to carry on day by day and though we may be tired we will rise again we will walk and not faint we will run and not be weary we will soar on wings as eagles Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the reminder that you are the God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we, claim God we acknowledge that help us to look to your creation and to be in awe and marvel at all of your creation and to know that you are the God who rules today as yesterday and forever and help us to build our faith upon that truth to know that you care for each and every one of us. To know that you have promised to walk with us and to give us the strength so that we may rise again. To know God, that day by day, you have promised to renew our strength. Great is your faithfulness. Help us to believe and to cling to that truth. And so live with hope and with power, with joy. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, amen. And we pray together the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.